Well, hi again, and welcome uh, to the Generation Podcast. Uh, it's great if you tune in from time to time. We love having folk, and there's an amazing number of folk listening to our podcast. We're so thrilled that you are listening in just to talk to various people uh, about mission, things related to mission, and really all sorts of random topics, frankly, emerge. And my guest today is uh, Andrew Little. Andrew works with the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Nantes in France. Andrew, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks, David. Lovely to be with you, and thanks, thanks for the invitation. Great. Tell us, uh, first of all, well, where is Nantes in France, so that our listeners can get a wee bit of perspective? Okay, Nantes is in the west of France, or northwest. It's... Uh, just south of Brittany, if uh, if you've ever been to Brittany, which is known as the, the wettest part of France. Um, but yeah, it's on the, the mouth of the Loire Valley, uh, France's longest uh, river, and uh, most famous for in, in church history for the Edict of Nantes, which uh, granted uh, religious freedom to uh, the Huguenots at the time of persecution here, but then that was revoked, of course. And nowadays famous for, used to have a good football team, um, famous for Lou Biscuits and famous for the big mechanical elephant that uh, brings many tourists to Nantes. Beautiful city, but the sixth largest city, I think. Right, so it's a bit like Scotland used to have a good football team. Relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think, did any Scottish players... Way back in the 90s, I was a student here uh, working in a school and Nantes won the league that year and probably half the French football team was made up of Nantes players. But it's not a wealthy club, so they they train their players up and then sell them on and and start again. Right. Uh, Yeah, I was stuck in Nantes once for a few hours in a traffic jam, so that's my only memory of it. It's not all that pleasant. Desperate place to navigate through. Uh, yes, it's the city of roundabouts, uh, and we have a few American people who come to our church and they're not used to roundabouts, and so <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge for them. Getting yeah, that, that was the day before sat-navs and you had to navigate using maps. Okay, talking about navigation, how do you navigate yourself to Nantes? Tell us a wee bit about yourself, your life, and yeah. where you're from. Uh, well, I, I grew up, uh, I was born uh, in Belfast. My parents, my father was minister of the RP Church, Reformed Presbyterian Church in, in Donegal at that time. So for two years, I was in Donegal. And then we moved to Larne, which is really where I spent most of my, my youth. And uh, with my brother, older brother and sister, who are both in Edinburgh. And, um, well, we grew up and, and, and there was a... a and that was, missions were very much part of, of our life. Mum and dad regularly. Dad had actually been born in, in Antioch, where his parents were were missionaries in Syria and Lebanon for, for 50 years. And then, uh, so we grew up with missionaries in our house all the time. There were missionary prayer meetings every month uh, in our home, but also in church. And so we would sit as children and listen to stories from all over the world. And some, sometimes giggle at people and get sent away from the table for behaving badly. Uh, but that, that that really was part of our, our DNA growing up. And uh, w- Christians do missions. Christians are involved in, in, in announcing and proclaiming the gospel throughout the world. That's just what we, what, that was our bread and butter, really. And so, uh, yeah, from from there, from Lauren, I, I went to, to study French and German at University in Belfast and spent a year out in, in Nantes uh, as part of my studies. Our church had sent missionaries to Nantes in 1998, 1980, sorry. 
Um, so uh, I had been out on a mission team in 1990, and then I was doing my studies in the early 90s, came out as part of, to work in a school for a year, and stayed in touch with the church, and uh, went back to Ireland and taught, went back to Ireland and taught French and German uh, for 12 years. And uh, during that time, did feel a sense of, of calling, but to be honest with you, the last thing I wanted to do was go and do pastoral work or missionary work in France. Uh, I'd seen the difficulties of I'd seen the difficulties of pastoral work as well that my father had had, and I thought I, I just don't want to do this. But I, I did feel a sense of calling, and I, I was at the same time investigating going away with Wycliffe because I loved languages and the idea of translation. But God closed doors and opened doors, and uh, then in two thousand and six, it was one of the, the two missionary families that had been in Nantes the whole time. They they came back to Ireland. And the church was looking for someone to replace them. And uh, they decided that uh, we should, I should be called to that work. And um, so Heather and I, my wife, uh, in, the, in the meantime, I got married in 2004 to Heather, who's also a French teacher. And uh, so we, 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 we considered that call and it was a pretty easy decision to make really. Um, both of us were working in schools with a lot of Christians, a lot of Christian teachers, a lot of Christian students, and we were overwhelmed by the sense of need that there was in France. We both knew France well. Uh, we did question whether I, I wasn't a pastor at the time, and, and I had to do three years at a theological college, and that was my big question: Is this what God wants me to do? We're happy to go to France, but in what uh, capacity? But God made us, we believe, made His will very clear to us, and. So in 2011, having done three years at, at our, our theological college, uh, we moved out here in September 2011. Now, go, go, if I can stop you there, I want to tease some stuff out. Uh, looking back, do you think the theological education and the ordination was a good thing? Was it essential for your ministry and not? I think so, yes. I mean, to come, to come as, a, as, a, as a, a, someone who's teaching the Word of God, I think... Clearly, I needed a training in that. Uh, pastorally, uh, I think my upbringing within in the manse uh, and, and also in various different settings, I think I learned a lot there. That you can't necessarily learn from a textbook or you can't learn in a, in a, in a lecture hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes some of the situations we find ourselves in, uh, I often say to, to my friends, I think we, I don't remember doing this in college, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just the other day, our son, with our son, we were cycling home from school and we happened upon a little lady uh, whose car had broken down and we thought, well, we'll stop and help her. And so there's, I'm surrounded by, by a group of young Muslim guys and another Muslim lady and we're talking away about how to get this car fixed. And the ladies in a panic so she is and trying to get her calmed down and take her back to her house and phone in the car, uh, repair people and phone in the insurance. And I'm thinking, I don't remember doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you do find yourselves in, yourself in situations where you just have to be flexible and just have to adapt. But uh, yes, certainly the training was useful. And uh, I often, uh, I'm going back to my notes and looking for, th- for things and, and we had good we had good teachers as well they were all pastors so all the education all the training we had was with a very pastoral slant and with a very pastoral uh, goal to the whole thing 
Um, but yeah, I, I do look back on that with fondness. So, is there, were you called to a church plant in Nantes? Yeah, the church was already in existence. It had been there since 1988, but it was still fragile. You know, it's not a big church anyway. On, on, on a given Sunday, if we have 30 people out, that, that's, about our, that's about our average. Um, so, uh, while the church has grown, it's still fragile. Uh, and and, and that, that's how I think best to describe that. So it, it's a mixture of church planting work, but also existing, uh, working in an existing congregation uh, with all the challenges that that brings. Um, I was just listening to another podcast this morning uh, on uh, some of the difficulties of, of reaching out in France. And, and one of the things is that our churches are geared up to to feed the flock that's already there and not so much to reach out into the world where where Christ isn't known. And so that's it's trying to get a balance between feeding the ones who are there and caring for the, the sheep who are already there, but also going out uh, and, and, and seeking the lost sheep. And so that's that's one of the challenges that we face. But yes, the church had been there for uh, for a good 20 years when, when we already arrived, when we arrived. Now, would that be a secular context? And these 30 people, how many of them would be uh, converts from, you know, uh, maybe French secular or Catholic background? Uh, uh, it's, a real, it's a real mixture of, of folks. And, and if, if we were to take all the people who have been in the church over the years, uh, many of whom have moved on for different reasons, um, how many were probably about a, a third of them are converts I would say some have come from other churches some have come um, from uh, Christian families already uh, but but maybe about a third of them have in adult life come to faith in Jesus Christ from really nowhere you might say uh, one of the differences between the church here and church back in, in Northern Ireland is there you're dealing with third, fourth, fifth generation Christians and all the stability that that brings. And here we're doing, dealing mostly with first generation Christians uh, and all the instability and all the extra work that that brings, the things that you take for granted in, in, a, in a work, in an established work where you've had generations of, of Christians. Uh, you, you can't take any of those things for granted here. Right. So if I can take you back to 1988 and maybe ask a question, why France? Uh, I think our, our church, our denomination, it's a good question. I, my father was involved in this, although I don't remember all the details. The denomination had been doing different overseas mission work uh, and uh, some in Lebanon and Syria, that had stopped, some in Ethiopia, that had stopped. And so I suppose the closeness to home was one thing, the, the ease of access to France, but also the need. Um, France is a desperately needy uh, mission field, and uh, it's, it's known as the graveyard, the missionary graveyard. On average, missionaries survive here. This is a statistic from, from fairly recently. Missionaries survive about five years uh, before going back. I remember talking to a a missionary who's working with Muslims in the Philippines, and you think you can't get much harder than Muslims in the Philippines. And he, he was a friend of, of a colleague, a former colleague, and he said, 
I, I look at the work you're doing in France and I, I, I'm full of admiration for your stickability and your longevity there. Um, so uh, I think that, that mainly that it's also the language. It's a language which we learn at school. So it's not, it's, it's doable, it's gettable. Uh, it's cl it was close to home without being a home mission. We wanted to do foreign mission uh, and also because of the need uh, that we were aware of as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'll, I mean, one of my questions is, is France perceived to be easier because it's relatively <laughs> close? And I, I guess the answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> you know, it's easier, certainly in terms of access, as you've said. Uh, the language is, is reasonably accessible. But in other ways, you know, it's not easy. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, people sometimes talk about, uh, our, when we talk about our move to France, uh, I often say, listen, it's not Hudson Taylor going to China. Mm -hmm. uh, both Heather and I spoke the language already. We lived in, I had lived in France for a year. Heather lived in Spain, which is a similar, similar culture. We'd studied French. We'd taught French. We'd studied the language and the literature. We knew the culture. Um, we don't look different. Uh, a few, we, we do look a bit different, you know, but uh, <laughs> uh, we don't look that different. The food is reasonably similar. Uh, many things we have in common, but yet there are deep, deep differences uh, really in, in, in worldview and philosophy and the way, th the way things are done. And, and, and culturally, there are enormous differences. And almost every... With every month that goes by and every year that goes by, we're able to think and say, we are so not French, just the way we see things. Uh, or we hear our French friends saying something, we think, oh, it's so French, you know. And, and you do try and assimilate, you do try to become as French as, as possible and, and, and blend in as much as it's possible to do without, without compromising. But uh, we're very much aware that there's a big, big difference uh, between the French and and well, we're sort of British, Irish, you might call us, um, and culturally, uh, <laughs> just in our worldview. I, mean, I, I guess the French religious and philosophical landscape, political landscape is dominated by the French Revolution and that yes. spirit, um, you know, is, is pervasive, is secularism, reading a lot about Macron recently mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. his engagement with Islam and the various elements and he's almost battling for a, a kind of secular state, which has good elements as well as bad elements. So you, you spoke about worldview and kind of the way French look at things apart from you know, farmers dumping dung in the middle of Paris on a regular basis. <laughs> Always protesting. So it gives a wee flavour about what a kind of French worldview is religiously and philosophically. Uh, yeah, I think I think we see it very strongly at the minute in, in, in this secular idea and it's becoming uh, even more aggressive, I would say, the secularism in France, partly in a as a reaction to um, Islamic extremism, I think, uh, at the minute, they're trying to get imams to sign a, a charter, a Republican charter, uh, recognizing the values of the Republic. And that's that's a big thing that, that we hear all the time here, the values of the Republic. You must embrace the values of the Republic. Recently, there was a meeting held between the Education Secretary and a group of students in, in Poitiers. And uh, uh, 
uh, on, on an exchange on religion. You, you'll be aware of, of the events of Samuel Paty, uh, the teacher uh, who was beheaded because he, he shared pictures of, of the Prophet Muhammad with his, uh, with his class, uh, going back to the, the Shadi Abdu uh, story where, where they were, there were these caricatures of the Prophet uh, Muhammad. I have to say there were far worse caricatures of Jesus and of God uh, we only hear about the caricatures of Muhammad, but if you look at the front covers of Charlie Hebdo uh, newsletter, uh, it, it is blasphemy. But then uh, what you have is the president defending the right to blaspheme. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, in, in the school meeting in Poitiers, the, 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 the Minister of Education, the students were saying, we want, in, in, in French state schools, you're not allowed to talk about religion, you're not allowed to talk about God. Uh, and, and the kids are saying, we want to talk about it. We want to talk about God. We want to understand each other. And what she came out with was that the, the school, the secular system is here to protect you. I think, do we need protection from, a dis from discussion about God, from discussion about religion? And she went on to talk about schools as being uh, les sanctuaires républicains, so sanctuaries. And you think, well, that's a religious term uh, that she's using of school. So secularism, the laïcité, as the French call it, is uh, is really the religion. It is the it's the mindset. And uh, uh, our own son uh, goes to he goes to a Catholic school, and we're, we're thankful that at least in the school, God is acknowledged. Uh, you know, at Christmas time, they'll be they're, they're doing about the Christmas story, and there's there's no attempt to hide that. They'll do other Bible stories throughout the year. But if you have a secular like system, uh, that's okay if it is truly neutral. Mm -hmm. But it's not truly neutral in France. And that's what these students were saying in Poitiers. They were saying, if I mention God, my teachers will, will, will take me apart. My teachers will set to prove that God does not exist. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not neutral. Uh, that, that's the thing. It, 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 it goes out, the French school system goes out of its way almost to prove that God does not exist. And that's the discussion. You don't have that discussion anymore. That's taken for granted in France within the state system. There is no God. Now let's get on with life. Mm -hmm. um, so we're seeing that more and more and, and we see that in people's attitude more and more. Yeah. I often, you know, think of French folk and think of, you know, Sartre, Camus, and, you know, guys in the left bank in Paris in a cafe discussing the meaning of life and, and philosophy. So it seems that that spirit is being eroded a little bit, that spirit of open inquiry and discussion. Uh, are these not values of the Republic? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, and, and it's interesting if you were to put watch French TV uh, and look at the, the, the listen to the radio as well. You still get an awful lot of serious discussion programs. You know, debate uh, on on La Cinq, the the, the Channel Five. Uh, every evening, there's a, a very very good program. C'est dans l'air, so it's 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 in the air. It's in, and and it's discussing what's happening, and it's it, it gets a huge uh, viewer uh, numbers. Uh, so there is there is a lot of debate. There is still discussion, um, but at the same time, and this this I find hard to understand. To me, there are contradictions within the French identity. If you if you switch switch channels from some of these serious discussions, you've got the most inane, ridiculous telereality uh, yeah. game shows, uh, cabaret type things, uh, and you think. 
what? This is the country of these great philosophers and these great minds, and this is their diet of, of entertainment? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> what, what, what's happening here? Um, so you do see maybe a dumbing down, uh, uh, maybe it's a, 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 an overgeneralization, uh, but you, you see both sides. Yes, the serious thinkers and the serious discussion, and they love to discuss without necessarily coming to a conclusion. You get that even in, in committee meetings. Uh, lots of discussion and no decisions. <laughs> well, I, that sounds familiar. I mean, unpacking this even more, you know, France is a Roman Catholic country. You drive through France, there's a RC Paris church in every single village. Um, yeah. Is Again, so so there's a kind of background of even basic theism. Okay, um, how, how does all that fit in, in, in the mix? Is, is the RC church declining? Uh, is it just a mere cultural edifice now? Uh, are folks self-consciously Catholics? And does all this help or hinder your work of evangelism? It's a real, it's a real mix. You know, we just just last week I was uh, I had the, the the local Catholic priest in my in my study here for a couple of hours. We were we were chatting and talking about different things and trying to to, to build a friendship and a relationship with him and. Uh, trying to understand what is the typical French Catholic. But uh, there is, I think, no such thing as a typical French Catholic. There's such a range even within the Catholic Church. There are some serious and very committed Catholic people committed to the Bible. I remember meeting with a guy for over a period of time a few years back, and he loved the scriptures. He loved, he really was committed to the scriptures and loved them. Um, and we had some lovely times of discussion and, and, and sharing together. And then you get the guys, the people who were brought up in the Catholic Church and uh, went through all the, 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 the different things they go through in their youth and then just walked away from it. And they, in a sense, they think they've rejected God, but they haven't rejected God because they've never met God. They've never had an encounter with God. They've rejected an institution which left them cold. Uh, and so, in a sense, those people are, are, are it's, it's not that difficult. To, they're actually surprised when you say to them, you were right to reject that. Yeah. <laughs> you were right to walk away from that because you didn't meet God at all. And they're actually, people like that are quite surprised when they come into a, an evangelical church to find the simplicity of it, to find that it's just all the trappings are stripped away and it's just very simple, singing, prayer, reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, and, and, and trying to work out how to live uh, a Christian life. And they, they, I think that quite appeals to them. And then you get people who still identify themselves as Catholic, and they'll go every now and again. Um, and it's a social thing, you know, it's, it's their social responsibility, they're involved in social movements. But if you ask them about their, their prayer life, ask them about their personal, personal piety or personal... Uh, reading of the scriptures, they don't, you know, they just don't do that. Um, it's not part of their uh, of, of what they do. So uh, to say that there's a typical French Catholic, and, and I remember even back to, to Ireland many years ago doing door-to-door work with a, a, a missionary in, in the Catholic areas of Belfast. The first thing he said to me was, Andrew, don't ever say to a Catholic, you believe that. <laughs> you yeah. believe that. And he says, you can say that your church teaches that. 
But the average Catholic doesn't believe half of what the church teaches or doesn't know half of what the church teaches. So don't say, oh, well, you're a Catholic, so you believe that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, there's such a, a, a mixture. Uh, it's really like a, a pick and mix of, of different ideas. Um, even in talking with the priest, I'm asking him, you know, we're talking about Islam and saying, you know, my prayer for, for Muslims is that they have a meeting, an encounter with Christ. I said, is that is that not your prayer? And he had to think about it. Uh, he wasn't sure. I said, what's the position of, of the, 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 the Catholic Church? He wasn't sure. And so if the priest isn't sure, you can be pretty sure that the people in the pew aren't too sure about it either. Fascinating. Well, let's talk a bit about contextualization. I wonder, you know, what you're approaching on to is say, yeah, I don't know, you were ministering Tully Vallon or Tully Backy. Would that <laughs> would your approach differ to that uh, nont? Uh, that's a really good question because uh, I mean I've written down. I was looking at your questions. I've written down here. What is our context? Yeah, and because I know the context within our church is that we're dealing with a very much an international community, uh, and so we have Americans, Brazilians, uh, South, folks from South America, uh, British people, Irish people, French people, Portuguese, uh, just a real mix, Africans as well, uh, students, English-speaking students, uh, refugees, and so all those people have their own context. Uh, and that's that's a real challenge, I have to say. Uh, uh, of course, they all have come with their cultural baggage. They all come with their religious baggage. And you're trying to think, uh, it, it means in the preaching and teaching of the word, you're thinking, am I teaching from a, with an Irish slant on this, with, with a, a, a Northern Irish slant on this, or am I teaching what the word says? Am I applying it in the context that I'm used to? Or am I, is this biblical truth that I'm applying, which transcends all these cultures? That's a real challenge uh, to, to, to let people know, actually, our culture is kingdom culture. Yeah. And it's the culture, living out kingdom culture in the Republic is a real challenge. Living out kingdom culture as a Nepali refugee living out kingdom culture as a someone from the Cameroon, as a French person, as an American, uh, those, are, uh, those are massive challenges. Now, uh, then in, in the area around us, we're surrounded by a fairly large Muslim community. We have our Catholic neighbours, we have our atheist neighbours. Uh, and so <laughs> it's such a difficult thing to, to know what is the context on any given day, you could be ministering in four or five different contexts uh, with different backgrounds and different uh, ideas that are coming at you and that you're trying to uh, apply the gospel to those different contexts and different uh, situations. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, this is music to my ears because I think sometimes we ironically worry too little about context but also worry too much about context in that what you're saying is that every individual has their own context and globalization has has knocked the idea almost again ironically of uh, one dominant culture 
in that area out, out the window. Or, or if it is a dominant culture, it's a dominant globalised Coca-Cola culture. Mm-hmm. But within that, you've got to work out, you know, Islamic, secular, French. Yeah, yeah. Islamic. I mean... And to give a few ideas of, of, of being sensitive to the culture that you're working in, you know, uh, <laughs> when we, a few years after arriving, our, our next door neighbour, an old man in his 90s, he, he, he died. And um, we lived right beside the big Catholic church and we thought, well, we'll go, we'll go to his funeral here, you know. We, we, we've got on well with this man. He's, we, we, we appreciate him. I was the only person there wearing a tie. Wow. And thought, oh, man, I've got this one wrong. Yeah. Uh, even his own family, you know, some of his own grandchildren were there in tracksuit bottoms and tracksuit tops. And, seriously. And then uh, Heather, my wife, had prepared a cake for them, for the family. So we'll take this cake across because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's not what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they looked at us uh, as if to say, what, what, what are you doing with a cake here? Mm-hmm. Well, we just thought, you know, you guys, were, you've been busy. You might like this. You don't have to prepare. And they really, we thought, this is not this is not done culturally, but they were really touched by it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I remember uh, with a family, an, an African family in church, uh, whose a lady whose mother was visiting from Africa, and, and they were under a lot of pressure. And, and so my wife cooked a, a dinner for them, and we took it over. And the mother, her mother, said to her, "It must be African people who prepared this because French people don't do that." Yeah. And so, and so you think, well, they, that may not be the culture here, but to me, that's biblical culture, that's Christian culture, and so we're going to do it, even if it's countercultural. Uh, and so, in, in the summer, in the summer time, or in, in January, uh, in France, that is the month. Every, a lot of things revolve around food in France, and so in January, it's the month for inviting people wherever you are in your church, in your business, in your home. For Galette des Rois, the king's cake is for Epiphany. And so you traditionally invite your neighbours and invite your friends. And so that, that's a tradition you think, well, I can take that. And that's that's being very French. The French understand that. They don't feel threatened by that. And we'll use that as an opportunity to get to know our neighbours, to, to reach out to our neighbours. But we might do it with a little Irish twist in it, you know, uh, because they also appreciate the Irish culture um, but so you're trying to be sensitive. We, we, we have a we, we used to have a we haven't done it with COVID now, but we, we used to have a, a, a lunch for once a month for people in the area to come to. And it was the, the two Irish families were preparing this lunch, and we thought we'll do soup, we'll make them soup. And one of the French families in church says, No, 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 French people don't eat soup at lunchtime, don't, don't do soup. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, 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 whether I don't think anyone would have been appalled and said, well, I'm not coming back here because we've had soup. Um, but there are little cultural things you think, we want to be as sensitive as possible, but at the same time, if the gospel demands that we go above the culture and, and against the culture, then we'll do that as well. That's so interesting and so liberating. Um, okay, you're from the Reformed Presbyterian Church of, of Ireland. The, the clue is in the name, Reformed. Um, is there a distinct Reformed perspective in mission? And if so, does it make any difference? Uh, uh, I think, especially in a place like France, where the work is slow and you need to be prepared to invest 
years and years. I think of one lady in Toulouse who came to faith uh, 43 years have, after having been first invited to a meeting in a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you, you need to be convinced. Uh, you need a strong understanding of the, the character of God, of the sovereignty of God in, in all things, but especially in salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that God is, Christ is building his church as he has promised to do it. That God is sovereign. I'm preaching this coming uh, Lord's Day on Acts chapter 4. Uh, and, and what an example of the sovereignty of God in all things, especially in salvation and his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, uh, and his overriding and all, overriding all circumstances for his glory and for the good of his church and his people. And I think a grasping of that and, and, and a confidence in the word of God as well in the preaching of the gospel as a means by which God, uh, means which God uses for the salvation of, of the lost. And so it's a commitment to those basic elements of the character of God, the sovereignty of God, the word of God, and the power of God, uh, despite ourselves. That's what enables us to keep going. Uh, and, and a really solid conviction in those things. If you don't have, I think if you, and certainly in a place like France, if you don't have a solid grasp and a solid commitment to those things, I don't know how you'd keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are many times when it's, uh, you're, you're clinging on to those things almost by your fingertips because everything else that's happening gives the impression that this is not working. This is a waste of time. Uh, this, is, this is lost effort. Um, but we don't believe that. We believe that God will honour his word. God will use his word in his time, in his way, to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. It calls us simply to be faithful in that. Um, and, and I find that a real struggle, I have to say, at the start, when, when we moved to France. I'd come from, from teaching in a really good school uh, in, in Balamina, where the results were really good every year. Uh, the, the kids were going off to the top universities. I was coaching a rugby team where, where they were winning most times, coaching cricket where they were winning most of the time. And you were, you were, you were used to success, tangible, visible success. You were used to the, a pat on the back from the, the principal every year, from the parents. They were appreciative. And you're coming into a situation where there is little obvious success. Uh, and... Uh, I think I discovered then that I had actually been feeding on that success, and that's that had been what had been keeping me going. I'd been looking for it and for the approval of of, of other people. And very quickly in ministry in France, you've got to get out of that mindset. I think I'm here as a servant of Jesus Christ in the building of His church, which He will do in His way and in His time. And He simply asks me to be faithful uh, to the Word and to shine as light, and he will do the rest. He, he, will, he will make us fishers of men. We're to follow him. That's what he calls us to do, to shine, and he, the rest is his responsibility. The rest is his work. Now, we need to look and see, are we doing that the best we can? Are we doing it as effectively as we can? But we, we, we rest. We, we can go to sleep at night knowing that God is sovereign in all those things and that his purposes will not be thwarted. 
despite the, the, the increasingly hostile environment in which we're called to work, uh, if anything, that will open up more doors <laughs> because that's our experience from scripture. But we think, you know, there were, there were Peter and John. Look at the opportunity we had in Acts 4 to preach to all those people, to all those religious leaders. And we might have thought, oh, this is terrible. They're being persecuted. This is terrible. This is terrible. Well, look, <laughs> all those men, all those, the priests, the chief priests, the, the Sadducees, uh, all those guys heard the gospel preached. And God was at work for his glory. And God can be at work in his glo- for his glory even if he chooses not to save. Mm. We long for people to be saved. We long for their salvation. We long for God's glory to be manifested in that way. But we know that even in other ways, God's glory is manifested, and that's we live. We, we live to serve the glory of God. Well, you know that's as helpful a five-minute segment as I've ever you know had in these podcasts. You know, uh, I, I remember. Uh, reading Ken Hughes' book Liberating Ministry from a Success. That, 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 that book saved my ministry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the days uh, an older minister in, in Memphis, Tennessee called Ford Williams said, David, have you read Liberating Ministry from a Success Syndrome? And I got it because, you know, for me, my ministry had become my identity. Yeah. And that had to be broken. You know, that's mm-hmm. so helpful. And that's, I mean, even just yesterday, there was someone here from church called in at lunchtime and uh, wanted to talk about our identity in Christ. And uh, this is one of the things that we talked about, uh, what what is our identity and, and grasping that. I can remember my former pastor in Ireland, Ted Donnelly, who's written, I was able to give Ted's book to this to this person. He's written a book, Life in Christ, which is, which is excellent. And, and he, he, I remember him saying, that most of our difficulties in the Christian life come because we haven't grasped our identity in Christ. Mm. And I think, uh, as, as a few years back, preaching through preaching through Philippians and seeing Paul, a servant of Christ, a servant of the gospel, uh, willing to put up with whatever uh, came his way in terms of uh, difficulties and persecution and, and imprisonment and uh, potential frustrations. That was such a valuable lesson. And I go back to that Kent Hughes book. I've, I've recently recommended it to another pastor here in Nantes who's going through difficulties uh, in his church, and, and he's got that book, and, and it's really helping him. And it's a book I come back to regularly and, and, and work through regularly. Yeah, because speed has become an idol. I remember hearing the story of a man who visits this monastery and he sees a beautiful manicured lawn. And he says to the monk, how did you get the lawn like that? He says, yeah, we cut it and roll it, cut it and roll it, cut it and roll it for about 400 years. And that's what you get. <laughs> 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 There's a bit of truth in that. So you think, I mean, even in evangelism and mission, everybody is looking for quick results. You know, church planters feel they've failed if they've not got it up and running in five years. Um, do you think that's a thing out there? Uh, it is. I mean, it, it's just one of those questions that people ask, you know, how many do you have on a Sunday, a Sunday morning? And uh, But I, I think of... Uh, a little lady in our congregation, uh, only Christian in her family, uh, facing severe persecution within her family, 
uh, and to hear her praying and to hear her speaking of her desire to to share Christ with other people, that, that's that, money can't buy that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> give give me that before you give me thirty people who come for the wrong reasons or uh, you know just small things like that. The Lord encourages us with seeing evidence of growth in his people. Uh, and and uh, one of the blessings of our small fellowship is that we're very close and we're, we're like a family. And you see you see the Lord at work in people's lives in, in very clear and obvious ways. Mm. Um, and that, that helps you, that helps keep you go keep you going as well. Uh, we're called to we're called to go to, to serve even we don't ever see the fruit. Um, but God is good to us and he often lets us see the fruit yeah. to encourage us to keep going. Um, he knows that we're not robots. Uh, things, we, we, we suffer disappointment, we suffer discouragement and, and, and God knows that and, and he, he looks after us. He, he cares for us uh, just at the time when we need it. Um, you know, there's some there's some Sunday nights, Monday mornings where I think I never want to preach again. Um, and the Lord sends his, I think of Jesus in the desert, you know, in the wilderness uh, at the end where the angels came and ministered to him. And I think of many times on a Monday morning where God sends his angels to minister uh, to someone who's struggling uh, just to, to pick himself up again at the start of the week. I think, keep going, yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, so yeah, we're, wow. we, we give thanks to God for his faithfulness. Andrew, thank you so much. We're coming to the end now, and you know I do feel that through this podcast, an angel has ministered to us. I'm sure, you say I'm no angel, but you're technically you are. You're one of God's messengers, so uh, maybe not an angel, but certainly a saint. But thank you so much for these insights. They are helpful. I have a funny feeling that this podcast is going to be one of our most popular in the best sense of that word and i think we will chat again well if it, if it brings david if it brings people who are listening to, to pray for france uh, more earnestly i mean they can get in touch we're happy to to give uh, prayer uh, updates and, and, and encourage people to pray for whether it's not or just you know, people come on holiday to france every year uh, it's the most visited tourist destination in the world i'm led to believe and as you say you drive through all the towns and villages and see these churches you see these crosses but France is spiritually dead uh, but but we do see God at work we do see signs of, of life but we, we it's a partnership and, a, and, a, and so that's one reason I was delighted to do this today if this can encourage people and motivate people to pray uh, with more zeal for, for the land of France and consider coming even and we, we have we have people here in the church an American couple I think of who sold up their house in California, didn't speak a lot of French, came and moved to, to near our house, to near our church, to be of use to us. And they're a great blessing to us. Uh, and so uh, you don't need to brilliant French. Uh, come even short term, come on holiday. Encourage if you come on holiday to France, make sure you get to a French church. And if you don't understand a word of it, get to a French church and encourage them. Uh, be a blessing to them and just pray and pray uh, pray for God to be at work 
Okay, thank you, Andrew, and thank you, folk, for listening in. It's been great to have your company again today. Please make Generation Podcast one of your weekly go-tos. We're not the most famous one in the world. We speak to ordinary people about extraordinary things. Thank you for being with us today, listeners, and we look forward, God willing, to talk to you another day. Bye.